0: Hey guys, this is Hunter Levine and thank you for listening to the Captain's Collective podcast brought to you by Skinny Water Culture, Costa Sunglasses, Florida Fishing Products, Turtle Box Audio, and Orvis Fly Fishing. In today's episode, we're having a round two conversation with David Mangum of Shallow Water Expeditions. The last time David and I sat down, we focused on tarpon, a fish that David's oriented his entire life around. In this podcast, we look more at other areas of David's life and fishing diving into his newer obsession with permit, travel, and what he's been learning and in what ways he's been changing since the last time we sat down. We also talk about his latest film, Huff, and what it was like to have the honor of sharing some of the story of the legendary Captain Steve Huff. If you're enjoying this podcast, please help us out by subscribing, sharing, and leaving a review on whatever app you listen on. To hear David's previous episode, head to the show notes or to the episode blog post on captainscollective.com. We hope you enjoy. Thank you for listening. This is The Captain's Collective. All right. Well, hey, David, thanks so much for having me over this morning and worked out that we were able to get together and have a second podcast. So I appreciate you for letting me come over and do this. Yeah, my pleasure. Easy. So you just got back from Los Locos. I'd love to yeah. hear about that trip and kind of how all that went down.
1: Man, I'm still uh, kind of in shock from that place. It's uh, National Geographic, like just in insanity. Out of all the places I fished, like the things that I saw there happening right next to the boat were bananas. And and I'm sure a lot of people listening to this uh, have seen stuff on social media from that, but that that doesn't even cover it. It's crazy, mm-hmm. and it's marlin, which is, you know, that's a hard fish to to find in a situation where they're not you're know, not teasing them up, and those fish are free swimming. They're on bait balls that are still, bait balls that are moving. Mm-hmm. Saw zillions of mahis and like thirty pound mahis. You would just they bite it. You don't move your fly because you might hook them. Like it was just <laughs> bananas. How did you amazing. hear about it? Like how did that come down? You like? know, uh, last year uh, Costa put together a group of people to go down there. I was lucky to be involved. One uh, and we went down there to try to do these satellite tags and these marlin uh, through the uh, Billfish Foundation and. Got to go down there, and I was like, yes, please, let's go check this out. You know, it was very good. We, we used all the satellite tags. It was, like, some historic number of tags that we used. Um, but it was nothing like the, what I saw this year. This year was
0: unhinged. It was wow. incredible. So, yeah. So what is that, like, what does a day look like over there?
1: You know, depending on, you know, the day looks like you, you get on a panga in the morning. Uh, you leave the lodge. You drive over there in the truck. You get on the panga. And we had some long runs, um, but most of the days, we ran inside the Magdalena Bay, so it was pretty protected for most of that run. Um, They put you on a couple bean bags, so it's pretty comfortable, you know? Um, You just kind of wrap and drink your coffee for that run, and on the way in on that run, you may have a little tequila or beer or something, but uh, the runs were long because the fish happened to be a long way away. Sometimes Mm -hmm. they are way closer, um, but the runs were relevant. For what we saw and mm-hmm. the angling, I, I don't know how many we caught. I, mean, I think we
0: our group caught 60-something marlin on fly wow. for the week or something. It, it was bananas. And so you're you're doing this long run. You're on a panga, a couple guys on the boat. Are mm-hmm. you just taking turns up front? You know, both anglers fish at once. Okay. Um, so
1: sometimes the bait balls that these fish are on, you, you know, we, we look for birds. You see the birds. You go to the birds. The bait ball may be being pushed or moving with the, uh, the marlin pushing it. Or maybe static. Static bait ball is just sitting and the bait's trying to get out of the water on top of each other. Mm-hmm. And that's, like, the best situation you find. You just pull up and you, you throw it in there. And, I mean, when they're fired up, they yeah. smash anything coming out of that bait ball. Um,
0: pretty amazing. So, yeah, and it looks like the conditions are pretty rough. I mean... It, it, they, one day it might be bumpy and the next day is flat. But yeah. uh, it, it was pretty nice the whole time we were there. The The that time of this time of year it gets pretty calm. So from your experience, talk me through like the ideal shot just for me to, cause I can, I've seen the video so I can yeah. visualize like what's happening with,
1: with, with the fish. I mean, but. you know, you're using a sinking line, which helps huck that big fly out there. Um, it also helps in hooking the fish and keeping the fish from sounding it. They, they like to stay on top the Marlin, uh, with the sinking line feeling mm-hmm. that pull. But, uh, you know, every shot in the book happens. I mean, I had them come out from under the boat, eat the fly, going away as I stopped stripping it mm-hmm. because I did, you didn't even see the fish. Um, but like the perfect situation is one of those static bait balls. You pull up to it, the boat, you know, comes off plane and you're just kind of there next to it and you're thrown into the bait ball and two hands stripping it out of the bait ball and the fish just come up and smash mm-hmm. it. You know, the you may be seeing a couple fish slashing through the bait ball, but below there's way more than that. Mm-hmm only a couple of fish hitting at once on the surface, there may be 40 below, mm-hmm. which we, we saw flying around that the drone was amazing. So,
0: and I would imagine that like your background in tarpon would translate pretty well to that fish. I mean, how, yeah. how different is fighting a Marlin from fighting a tarpon? You know, a little bit different,
1: but, but not a lot different,
0: you know, um, they just have
1: depth if they want to go down, down, they can. And mm-hmm. you know, when that happens, you get back away from them and then they come back to the surface. So, mm-hmm. uh, pretty similar. Um, to fight in a tarpon. So you just hope they jump a lot and yeah, you get on them and pull on them hard and you get them pretty quick. So do you have some that just go straight to the bottom and you just have to... Well, they don't go to the bottom where you never pull them out, but uh, y- when they do go down, you just,
0: you back the boat off of them and they come back, right mm-hmm. back to the top, so... Are you guys, when you guys are out there, are you targeting any other species or pretty much just working bait You know, balls? there are, like I said, billions of
1: mahi and like yeah. big, big ones. And I mean... You pulled up to a bay. We pulled up to a few bait balls, and there might have been mm-hmm. 500 of mm-hmm. these fish around it. No, no exaggeration. And uh, yeah, all right, let's go somewhere else yeah. and look for marlin. Like he didn't even mess with them after he caught a few. So, um, but there was some inshore stuff where there's some big snook in the mm-hmm. surf. Of course, roosters are closer inshore, and there's all sorts of stuff. Those guys are still like figuring out and looking for inshore. It's a giant bay system, so mm-hmm. uh, a lot more to the story down there look yeah. forward to getting back.
0: Yeah. I talked to Joey G from Costa last year after he came back and he was telling me the accommodations are pretty, pretty sweet there too. Yeah, What's their setup like? Like,
1: you know, there's a, oh, I forget the name of the hotel or inn. it's basically base camp for those guys. And they have uh, a couple of spots right there where some of the guides stay on location. You know, you come back, you go back to your room, you shower, you come, you walk 50 feet over to the you know, club or mm-hmm. mess hall, if you will. They have a really cool little spot where everybody has uh, apps mm-hmm. and uh, some drinks and then
0: they make dinner and it's it's kind of everything happens right there. It's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then, so you just got back from that. Obviously, we're a couple days after Christmas now and you're getting ready for Seychelles. And yeah. you were showing me like oh. your, your tie room is just, it looks covered in materials. It's, what does the uh, prep for that trip look like? It's, you know, just
1: thinking about every day what I might need while, while you're there, you know, and an important thing there too, is you have weight restrictions. So you just can't take everything you need. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you're thinking about all right, clothing, I only need three shirts, even though you're there a while, you know, uh, they'll do some laundry and you know, got to have your waiting boots and you know, just kind of getting it all dialed in, putting it in a bag, weighing it on a bathroom scale and making sure you're not overweight, which is Mm -hmm. kind of important. But, uh, yeah, just the little things that I've learned by going there before. Like I need this weird little finger socks because you get these bad burns if you're blind mm-hmm. casting those heavy lines, or you know maybe one extra rod, an extra fly line. You don't need a bunch of reels. You can put a new line on this if you need it. You know, just mm-hmm. those odds and ends and fly ideas are the main thing. Like okay, last time I remember, tie this a little smaller, maybe a little heavier. This thing, or you know, things like that.
0: Yeah, I, I didn't get a chance to do a lot of traveling with hunting and fishing and the times that I did, it was kind of, it was a five hour drive, six hour drive, which is totally different than when you're getting on an airplane or you're somewhere yeah. remote. I mean, cause we would just throw everything, you know, we'd pack, we'd you sure. know, you'd fill the pack, back yeah, of the truck. You just fill the back of the truck with yeah. everything you could think. And then there's a Walmart 20 minutes away <laughs> if, yeah. if you don't. So what advice would you give to people who are starting like myself, starting to get more into the travel thing as far as like trying to really make the most of the trip? And yeah, well, you know, that's a great question, and it's really hard to know what you need. That's
1: why, like, the the fellows, I'm I'm hosting this trip, and the fellows that are coming with me, a few of them haven't been, mm-hmm. and, you know, you just don't know, well, I'm restricted. What do I need? So that's part of what, you know, going with somebody that's been before, or getting mm-hmm. some great advice from somebody that's been, this little thing, you need this, and make sure to get this type of gravel guard, not that. and these
0: little things that make a big difference when you're actually there and on the water. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you were saying with your tackle, you try to keep it pretty minimalistic. Like what's mm-hmm. the stuff that you go really minimal on? And is there anything that you prioritize? Like I saw, it seems like you bring a lot of flies, a lot of, a lot of small flies, you know, the
1: big yeah. flies, he just, for like GTs, um, you just want various colors and you have to have them on the right hook. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're not on a six you're, they're going to bend it out probably, you know, even on lighter line, they can bend it out for yeah. whatever reason. <clears throat> it's like a giant Jackrabill and they like to bend the hook out. Um, you know, my, my smaller flies, you can take a lot because they're small and yeah. you know, but you don't need 500 flies either. Mm-hmm. And if you did have some, Oh man, my flies didn't make it or, You know, I ran out of this and that. They have there. Yeah. The guides have flies a little bit. If they want something particular on, they'll put it on. And, you know, just like guides anywhere. (laughs) But what's really cool about the guides there is they're all very into it. You know, a lot of places you go around the world where maybe you're with a guide that's, you know, that's his job, but he's not like his his wheels and his head aren't spinning every night. Mm -hmm. All those guys, there are really into it and they compete against each other on catching Mm -hmm. more fish and how to do it better, how to innovate
0: um maybe more so than anywhere else I've been. Yeah, uh, foreign or uh abroad. So. And so when I think of going to Seychelles, which I haven't got a chance to go, but I think about the chasing the GT and you were showing me some GT flies, but you were kind of saying, but let me show you something. Man, that I'm really into Yeah. So. You like to chase the other <laughs> stuff. Tell me about the other you stuff. You know, I'd say the triggerfish and the permit are my favorite two creatures
1: there. Mm-hmm. Um Last year I went to Farquhar and there's a thing called a Napoleon wrasse there, which is just an amazing, crazy, cool fish. Uh, mm. They tail on the flats. Um,
0: what what do they look like? I don't even know if I. I don't even know
1: how to explain it. It's uh, you know, maybe like a hogfish.
0: Okay, like aqua blue. It's what I'd say. That's the closest thing I can think of. Okay, super colorful, bigger than a hogfish. Yeah, so bigger pretty a big tail. Yeah.
1: yeah, it's like the tail, like the back end of the body is almost like a triple tail. It doesn't have an extended tail. It's
0: a, it's an odd looking fish, but, uh, one of the craziest things I've ever caught. Yeah. So what about it? Do you like, do you like going out and just being on a flat and just not knowing what you're about to throw at? Do you like just how weird it, I mean, what's the, you know, just you're, you're in this aquatic wilderness that is every color that you've
1: ever seen. And then some that you've never seen the fish that you're after. you, You may see something that that's not supposed to be up here. There's a sailfish tailing on the flat or something yeah, crazy, yeah. you know? Um, and these, oh my God, the guy's like, there, there's a sweet-lipped emperor. What's that? I haven't seen one of those. You know, yeah. and you you have to fish this stuff going on. That, yeah. Yeah, it's just variety and things that you've never seen before. And as a fisherman, seeing those things is is worth that three-day mm. travel over there. So <clears throat> the the hardest part about you know, not just the the dollar amount going to the Seychelles, but mm. uh, the travel is, is pretty grueling. You know, that 15-hour mm. flight across the ocean is uh, it's no joke. So. Yeah. What's the tip there? I mean, be prepared, you know, download everything that you want to listen to, want to watch, um, have a plan for your 15 hours, uh, have a plan for the layovers and, you know. Bring that good neck pillow
0: and a yeah. you know, good set of. Head do you plans. wear those compression sleeves on your legs? I've heard about people doing that on long flights. Like, I guess that's supposed to help the the blood not just sit in your legs. You know, I haven't. Um, yeah. Maybe as I get older, that's uh, <laughs> I'm adding that to the list. Well, but, I, don't, I haven't done it myself, but I've tried them on the boat, actually. Yeah.
1: Uh, I, yeah, but I I do take some for waiting. So I'll, my waiting deal will be uh, not real high compression socks, and I use a waiting sock. Sims makes a waiting sock.
0: Then the neoprene sock, and then the waiting boot mm-hmm. and that seems to be really awesome, yeah. Yeah, and then a lot of guys I see like they they have the um compression pants on. Is like, what's the thought so there? most of those I don't know that they're
1: compression, that they're just those like thin men's tights, workout yeah. tight looking things. Because you know, you spend time jumping in and out of the boat and waiting, and if you use pants, then they're flapping and waiting, and they yeah, they just they're, they don't work as well as those thin, mm-hmm. you know, uh, what, are what we call like them? Under, under Armour. Yeah, you know, Under Armour kind of Run running pants or whatever. And those dry really quickly. Um, they don't feel we're wet on your skin, and they cover your body from the sun. Mm-hmm. One of the craziest things about being that close to the equator is how intense that sun is. You know, I, I've spent time in the sun a lot. You know, mm-hmm. one of the only things I don't cover is the back of my hands. Mm-hmm. Um, day one in the Seychelles, first time I was ever there with brown hands you know Mm -hmm. i thought i was pretty good they burned badly yeah so i learned my lesson quickly and just covered i take spf 100 like you have to cover up or you may not be able to go fishing the next day yeah a lot of little things like that you learn from going over there that you pass on to the people that you're taking so their trip's enjoyable
0: yeah for sure i mean i uh, even on some of the trips that i've done the past five years i've seen guys uh, go somewhere and not, you know, whether they get sunburnt or they get dehydrated. And then we had a guy a couple of years ago on a trip and we were out in a Chandelier over in Louisiana and, you know, he got dehydrated the first day and could barely fish the second day. Yep. So those types of things, too, you're spending all that money, all that time. You don't want. Yeah, you, you got to be prepared like for all those little contingencies
1: like, you know, like all my clients I'm taking in the Seychelles, electrolytes, got to bring a lot of
0: electrolytes. So, mm-hmm. yeah. You know. No, that's awesome. So we did an interview, I think, four years ago, and we mostly focused Jesus, on. Jesus, four years ago. I think it was about four. It probably three or four years ago. Yeah, I, I can't. remember. I try to like use COVID as you know, <laughs> like a BC, reference. you know, kind of uh, after COVID and before COVID. Um, <laughs> and I think it was before COVID. I think it was. I guarantee it was. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and since then, you know, I'm, I'm trying to go around and do a round two with some of the shows that you know, I recorded early on and I'm just kind of curious in the past four years, what have you been interested in? What have you been getting into? What are some things you've learned? What's four
1: years? Well, it seems like that last podcast was like six months ago. Mm -hmm. You know, the older you get, the quicker life accelerates. I I think I feel like I've found that out. Um, last four years, you know, of course, lots of tarpon fishing. I've really been getting into permit fishing. I'd Mm -hmm. say that may be one of the things in the fishing world that has happened in the last four years. A lot of that has been down with my friend, Nathaniel Linville in Mm -hmm. Key West area, him and John O'Hearn and Brandon Sear and uh, some other guides that, Mm uh, fish with down there, Ian Slater. Um, I go down and fish with Nat. He has me down there as Mm. you know, hosted me down there. And I absolutely love that fish because it's so hard and it demands that you do everything right. A lot. So, mm. and, and that's really, really been into that.
0: What, so for my personal fishing, you know, what was the origin of that? Was it, cause I'm sure you've obviously been around permit fishing your entire yeah, guide sure. career, but where did well, that wormhole begin?
1: You know, I, I certainly I permit fished, um, before that, mm. um, caught my first one with my friend Bear Holman. Um, but what I gravitated toward with the permit and I think a lot of anglers, Fly anglers find themselves that they move towards that fish because it's kind of the top notch. I think the the top of the mountain, right? Mm-hmm. And you, it's one of those things that as a fly angler, okay, I got, I want to catch a permit, and you have to evolve to that, you know, that level to be able to do it, to be able to mm-hmm. do it well. Um, you know, you can go to some places and throw it into school and you've caught a permit, mm-hmm. um, but to be able to do it consistently and do it in Florida is a different level and you know i wanted to catch one here before i went abroad to do it um and i did and nathaniel and john o'her and some of those guys down there are doing it on a way high level Mm -hmm. like thinking in grams thinking in like giant leaders and the lines and like all the tiny little details matter and they matter every shot Mm -hmm. you know they're how you stand on that boat. How you every little thing that you do um leads up to that moment and that shot. And that I, I don't know, I think that's cool. And yeah. I've been into that lately. So
0: when when you started spending more and more time with those guys, and that was kind of your personal fishing as far as chasing permit, how did that impact what you're doing over here with Tarpon and Redfish? Well, you know, anytime I think you you fish or i I fish to somebody that's thinking about a fish
1: on that level i try to put that into what i do you know Mm -hmm. and i think those guys do the same you know okay Mm -hmm. how's that guy see this or you know what do you think about this or what did you see there and yeah you just you feed off each other and Mm -hmm. feed off of you know other people that are performing at a high level whether it's fishing or sports or art or anything you do Mm -hmm. um people that are really hyper-focused on their skill, I think benefit from doing those things with other people that are, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that's probably obvious, but that's what I I would, that's my answer. You know, when I fish with those guys, I I like to see how detailed they are with all these little nuances. And I turn that into the thinking on my personal fishing, whether it be Mm -hmm. red fishing, even
0: for, for redfish this time of year or tarpon fishing and any fishing. So Was there anything as you learn more and more about it and you learn more about the details that surprised you that you maybe wouldn't have thought of on your own? Well, you know, when I first started
1: permit fishing, it was kind of like you're, you're pulling, there's the permit, huck it at it before it spooks Mm -hmm. and strip it or, you know, and, you know, looking back, I'm like, Oh God. Yeah. No wonder I didn't catch a lot of those fish. You know, you're not, you know, you just look at it totally different. You know, now I'm looking at it on this macro level of like okay that fly enters the water here it's falling and moving at this angle based on where i see that fish and you wait for the right angle with the fish sometimes you know, just throw it out you know there's a lot of little things mm-hmm. that you're you know you're processing you're processing it assessing it quickly in your brain where in the beginning i was just like oh fuck you know yeah, throw yeah. it out there at yeah, that yeah. fish and and see what happens you know and and now i think you can process all those things a little more calmly, but it just as you know, process them fast mm-hmm. and make better decisions quickly because you're not as rattled. You know, I'd say that fish still rattles me a mm-hmm. little bit and yeah. less and less the more I fish for them. Whereas, you know, you send some tarpon at me and no problem. Yeah, you know, I got it. Like that, that fish, no matter what, isn't rattling me, but that permit definitely does still, which is maybe why I'm loving fishing for them. So, yeah.
0: yeah, with, um, With going after, like, all the little details, do you feel like that's what draws you to the, whether it's chasing the less popular fish in the Seychelles or chasing tarpon, do you feel like the details is what draws you to those things, or do you find it to be? Certainly. Um,
1: You know, that's just what keeps you engaged and keeps your brain into it, you know, is how to do it better, I think, or at Mm -hmm. least for me it does. Um, It's just all a thinking game and then trying to execute or perform on those ideas that you come up with on, man, I, you know, everything, and I've said this before in different things, everything can be done better. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, look at, let's permit fishing. Um, When they first started permit fishing, you know, the flies and the techniques and everything were way different. And those guys caught a lot of permit because there were a lot more permit back Mm -hmm. then. Now there's fewer permit, they're more educated. There's a lot more people fishing for them, but, Maybe we're catching more of them now because of all those details and thinking mm. it through, and just being more dialed in. You know, um, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. No, that that makes perfect sense. I was curious too, as somebody who spends so much time on the back of the boat or on the back of the bow. I guess for you, sure. in some scenarios, but proverbially on the back of the boat. Yeah. Um, what is for you? What is the hardest part about making the mental shift to being the guy on the front? Um, I don't yeah, That's pretty easy.
1: You know? Um, I don't know. I just, I feel, I just get hyper-focused when I'm on yeah. the front of the boat, you know, fishing for a permit. Um, just laser focused.
0: Yeah. And, I was curious if it was hard for you to, you know, I, I guess for, for me, like I fish with some guides and then I'll like swap with them and they'll be on the front. And it's almost like, because they've, you know, a lot of them don't get a ton of time to do it. It's, Mm. it's almost like, it seems like can be a hard switch for them. Yeah, I understand that. Um,
1: But no, I, you know, typically if I'm going permit fishing, you know, I'm mentally prepared and looking forward to that moment of stepping up on the bow and making sure all my lines stretched out well and my leaders are perfect and my knots are good and the flies are tied exactly how, you know, all those little details. So no, I, and, and that's, Part of what I enjoy is all that prep work too. And then, you know, hopefully it pays off and your your cast is right and all those things. And the pressure of making it work right is kind of fun for permit, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah.
0: So the past four years, like as you've continued to build your business, grow as an angler, Mm -hmm. grow as a captain, what things have been affecting you off the water that you feel like- grow, Grow as a guide. Yeah, grow as a guide. What did I say? Did I say grow as a guy? No, I,
1: I no as a guide. I, oh, I yeah. always laugh. I all my clients, you know, I don't let anybody refer to me as captain. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm like I'm a guy. What's the thought process there? I just it's just a silly little thing yeah. that I do. Captains I, are big they like wear a and hat, stuff. And drive <laughs> a giant boat, you know? Anyway, I'm you just could do that. Around. Yeah, You're getting I a could. 21 chitum, so it's yeah. a bigger boat. So it is. That, I don't know I what size. The, boat. I just need the hat.
0: Yeah, what yeah. size boat can I feel like you got to be over? I feel like you got to be over 40 feet. You know, to have the typically hat. I think of the Love Boat when I think captain. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think 21s. At some point, you can't put a name on the side of the boat if it's too small. I feel like, and you can't wear the hat. That's right. You can't name your boat if it's under 25 feet. That's kind of a, a rule. Yeah. Yeah. And then what's the hat rule? I don't know. Well, let's call it 40 <laughs> we'll feet. Make it if somebody up. knows, drop it in the comments. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I'm just messing around. But I forgot what you were asking me. I, I was just asking things off the water that you feel like are have changed or you're growing or learning that maybe are affecting you all around as a person? Oh man. Just, uh, most of my learning has been with my uh, 15 year old in the past four years, I'd say.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Some big lessons there. Um, patience. Yeah. Yeah. And I think some of that patience. I hope maybe some of my clients would disagree, uh,
0: translates to my demeanor on the water. So Hmm. yeah, yeah, I uh, I have a seven year old and a uh, one that just turned four, and um, I've I've been because I, I did a lot of ministry at church with middle school and high school students before working mm-hmm. with college students. I have spent a lot of time around middle schoolers and high schoolers. Actually, I was an only child. I didn't spend hardly any time around seven year olds, mm-hmm. and that will <laughs> patience is is they big. But then it looks different, it. right? At like fifteen, you know, it's it's a totally different beast. Like,
1: yeah, you know, the the best. Weapon in my arsenal for dealing with difficult times with my 15 year old is remembering, trying to remember where my mind was at 15, you Hmm. know, say, okay, put yourself in their shoes and go, yeah, yeah. I remember thinking I knew all everything and all that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how,
0: how for you, like, I know a struggle for people is uh, a lot of people don't like to use the words balance, which I, I totally get that, but trying to manage time and be intentional at home and be intentional when you're with clients, there's just a lot to manage there. I don't know if you would use the word balance or not, but for you, what what have you learned about that that maybe you could pass on to people who are either doing a lot of guiding or they're doing a lot of fishing, hunting, traveling? How how do you try to do that well? You know, you just, you try to be as present
1: as you can in each situation, you know, Um, and it's really hard. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're an independent guide, you know, you're managing... Phone calls and emails and whatnot, and mm-hmm. you know, you just you, you kind of need to have a method for it and be able to turn it off and just be present with family, mm-hmm. um, especially like dinner time. It's one of the things in our our family that okay, don't mess with the phone or don't you know
0: really that's be present around that time of day. So yeah, that that's something I was um, in the Bahamas a couple of years ago with Kyle Schaefer, mm-hmm. and I, one thing I really like I'm drawn to about Kyle is he's able to be really present, like when he's on the bow of the boat and he's fishing, mm. he's focused, he's present when he's with his family, he's focused and present. So I asked him, I said, man, what, like, what, what advice, what's helped you? And he told me a, a book and I think it's called you are here. And mm. it's like, it's got a bunch of Buddhist stuff in it, but it just talks about being present. I read it and I, it made me think about a lot of stuff that was really helpful. Like for you, I think there's probably a big correlation with, you know, when you're on the bow of the boat, chasing a permit, you gotta be really present hyper-present and then when you're with a kid you know I have found too that the more present I am the more I enjoy that time anyway with my kids you know I'm not frustrated I'm playing this toy or whatever with them but for you have there been any tools or things that people have said or anything like that that's helped you grow in that or have you just kind of learned that inch by inch in life you know I think inch by inch um, yeah if there have been I'm
1: sure there's been some help from everyone along the way that's kind of how it works but Nothing that comes to mind, yet with you know with my daughter, I always have to remember and remind myself she's she's a lot like me, so mm-hmm. you know I see that, I see those characteristics, and I'm like, damn it, you know it's like my revenge on myself. <laughs> <It's> a mirror, <laughs> yeah yeah, exactly, so yeah. um no, just just trying to be patient and which is hard for me sometimes uh mm-hmm. finding patience, but uh. You know, just knowing, hey, I need to make time mm-hmm. and you know how important that is and mm-hmm. putting myself in her shoes and thinking about it that way. So Yeah.
0: And I see, like, I've seen you guys do slackline together. And yeah. Are there certain, what things have you guys found Slack Slackline, we skateboard together.
1: Uh, We've been kicking the soccer ball lately. She's, mm-hmm. she's kind of getting into that. Um, surfing. Mm-hmm. Uh, she definitely likes surfing. Yeah, you guys
0: do a surfing trip, right? Or yeah, usually in the spring. Okay. Yeah.
1: yeah. It's usually our, our time to go on a trip and... Her spring break, and that springtime isn't crazy busy, so I, I, we try to make that our yearly really family uh, trip. So, yeah, last year we went to Sayulita, kind of a longboard surf spot. So Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, that's really cool, and I mean, I've, I've talked about this before, but I've realized in the outdoor world, I call them outdoor pageant dads. They're Mm. like people in the outdoor world that want to like force their kids to be like, look, it's really cool when you meet, I've met some kids who love fly fishing, who love fishing and it's, it's their own. Right. But I think like as a dad, like you've also, for every one of those kids, there's 20 kids who their parents tried to force it for their own image or whatever. For you, how have you tried to kind of manage, you know? when you're here and you've been involved in so much stuff in the fly fishing world, how do you try to manage kind of her interactions with that? Does she like to fish a lot? Does she does fish, you Mm -hmm. know? And
1: I think, you know, I've tried not to to force it on her. You know, she's Mm -hmm. jumped tarpon on the fly. She's caught her own tailing redfish. We practice casting, but you know, I I bring it up like, Hey, you want to go cast out in the, out in front of the house? And yeah, maybe she's not into it. And I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't get on her about it. You know? And I don't, say hey we're going fishing you know it's, it's kind of I, I throw those offers out there and if she wants to cool but mm-hmm. it, you know I think a lot of times when people try to force the kid into doing something that they mm-hmm. push back hard the older they get and you know I'm hoping that as time goes on and you know she wants to spend more time with me hopefully or, or comes back around that you know they say yeah. that teenage years are tough and then the kids usually come back around to you that's uh, what everybody tells me uh, you know she'll she'll want to be into it a little more, but mm-hmm. I built that base with her on, on fly fishing. And, uh, yeah, every summer we, 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 I do kind of say, Hey, you're, you're jumping a tarpon this year. And, yeah. You know, we'll go out late afternoon after I've had my client time, but, uh, yeah, I think I had.
0: passed y'all one time, maybe it was last year or the year before. And she had like a friend on the boat with her or something like yeah. that, you know, yeah. bring, bring the friends involved. I think that was the day that she like lost an entire rotten reel. Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> What's she's, that story? she's pretty
1: proud. She has a huge <laughs> scar on the back of her hand from yeah. that. She uh, she hooked a fish, you know, and as she's clearing the line, she didn't hold on to the line all the way till it hit the reel. So, you know, right before you're about to hit the reel, she let go of it and it whipped around the, her hand holding the rod and reel mm-hmm. and then came tight and burned the absolute shit out of the back of her hand. Like, If you've ever, like, cut the back of your hand, it looks white there before Mm -hmm. it starts bleeding, and she just had this huge white burn mark, and when that happened, her hand opened up, and the, the, the rod went...
0: Boom. off the boat it was gone yeah um someone's gonna find that that's yeah uh, yeah it's been i don't know it's <laughs> no, uh, probably not it's probably and she she definitely
1: yeah. you know she grabbed her hand it was horrified that she lost the rod she was super worried about that i was like i don't care you know yeah we know some people that make those so uh it's a pretty cool
0: uh Pretty cool story for her, yeah, yeah, she's yeah, very proud cool of that. Scar. When
1: I tell that, and she's around, she's like always like showing the scar, you know, yeah. So it's true.
0: always good when your scar has a good story because, absolutely, my wife has one on her ankle. It's like she just stepped off a curb and just scraped it wrong, you know. That's not a very cool <laughs> no. like you're not like at the bar telling that one, you know. No, like, no. let me tell you about when I was at Coles and I stuck, you know, whatever. Um, you know, so you were talking about this time of year you know, you switch over more towards redfish, Mm -hmm. you know, you get a chance to do some more travel. Obviously Los Locos, Seychelles, um, last time we talked a ton about, a ton about tarpon, but we didn't really dive into what redfishing looks like for you. What, what does redfishing look like for you? You know, where I redfish here,
1: uh, around Panama city and uh, Santa Rosa beach where I live, there's a few different areas we redfish, and we have some bigger redfish on the flats when it gets cold. But the majority of my redfishing is super shallow. Uh, I have a glade skiff, a little bitty skiff that I use. It's I even built it light. It's got mm-hmm. a 20 on it. It's not very fast, but half a coffin box instead of a full, just so I could get every tiny bit of uh, you know shallow water mm-hmm. pullability out of the boat. And the redfishing can be pretty technical. You know, mm-hmm. Some days, not. You know, some days are pretty, yeah, pretty agreeable, but for the most part, it forces you to, to put it in there the right way. Yeah. Um, but good tailing redfish. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, when I talk to people about it, I say it's it's technical. It's, um, you have to put it in a very tight space for those redfish. The ones that we have here, you know, the water's clear, but the grass is pretty long and they're looking. In a space, very very small area of awareness, right in front of them, mm-hmm. um, and they can't see that fly from two feet. They need to see it from two inches. So, you know, you don't catch a ton of them, but they're rewarding the ones you catch. Yeah, and you have to be very tactical in your polling and quiet. And it's uh, it is definitely built me into a better angler over the years of yeah. fishing here. Yeah,
0: is tailing redfish in the grass, the one of the things I love about redfish is they do so many different things. They like do so many scenarios for them. Is that your favorite, do you think? I'd say so, you know, well, no, I'd say my, my favorite redfish is a backing redfish, right? He's yeah. so shallow, the
1: top of his back's coming out, maybe a little tip of his tail. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know, tailing redfish is hard to beat too, but those yeah. two redfish are my favorite, yeah.
0: Yeah. I've, I feel, I feel the same on the technical front. Now, the, like the coolest thing I've seen a redfish do is, um, in chandelier, I was walking the beach and we just went out there one day and there were just huge 40 inch plus redfish riding the waves and you mm. would look in the waves and see them and Surfing but it out. wasn't super technical. I mean, you had to, there was a little bit of work to get the fly in front of them with all those scenarios going. Yep. Cause they were pretty lazy. They were being pretty lazy. Like they weren't super aggressive, but, um, yeah. On the, on the tailing redfish in the grass, um, are there certain mistakes you see people make or certain things that you would share that would help people's success? Cause they can be real skittish too. If the water's still or, you know, yeah, for sure. You know, <clears throat> some of the
1: every day, you know, when I have a new client that doesn't really know the, the, the deal, I'll stand up on the bow in the morning and kind of give them my little rundown. Right. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, you know, that rundown starts with, you know, I use a stripping bucket, you know, and I tell them how to put that line in that bucket so it doesn't get tangled on their cast. So line maintenance is critical. Um, so that, I mean, you might have, do you always
0: use a bucket or only when it's windy? uh, sometimes I don't use a bucket
1: if the angler is pretty proficient, but I use it a lot. All right. Um, because you know, if, if somebody hasn't done a ton of fly fish on the bow, they're not great at line maintenance, putting Mm -hmm. it in the back of the boat. Um, or they move around too much to throw the line back in the back of the boat and spook fish for another hundred feet.
0: You know what I yeah. mean? So and I you teach don't have them eyelashes, of, right? They're I down the front. Mm-hmm. So do you, you feel like there's, that's a big, cause I asked this, cause I've seen a lot of different line management mm-hmm. stuff and you feel like that's for tailing redfish. That's kind of a, no. It, it would probably work fine. I just, you just don't have them. I don't have them. Yeah. I don't like them, you don't but. like the way they look. <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> um, so, you know, I would say, you know, I, I teach them how to put the line in the bucket so mm-hmm. I know that the line is good every time. Um, you know, I teach them that, you know, when you cast only with your upper body, you know, you're not moving the boat. You know, anytime you start a cast, even if you're thinking you're being super still, if it's calm and you're in super shallow water, the boat moves a little bit and it sends these little pressure waves away. Those little pressure waves meet the fish before you've shown them the fly, you know, if you have to make a second throw or whatnot, mm-hmm. the fish may not blow out and spook, but if he vibes that you're around, he's a little less likely to eat your fly. So mm-hmm. we want to show him the fly before that happens or be really good at not making those those mm-hmm. little pressure waves move away from the boat. So keeping your feet still as we approach being, you know, not moving at all as you approach the fish, We're mm-hmm. seeing one from some distance that we're, we're approaching, um, keeping a proper amount of line out of the rod tip. Um, you know, all these little details all come into play when it's time to take that shot. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I preach also is like, go for broke. Don't be careful about that first shot. Like make that first, throw it in there and make sure, I'd rather see you throw it past them or throw it right right in between their eyes and they spook out than you throw it three feet short. So, yeah. you know, going for broke on that first shot is uh, more often than not, it pays off where being trying to be careful or have the fly land real quietly. And then you have to
0: pick it up and make another throw at that redfish in shallow water. He vibes and starts swimming away. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. And then I see you have like a whole, you know, leader organizer system underneath your grab bar. Yeah. What type of leaders are you generally throwing? Typically my, my
1: typical redfish leader is 12 pounds, 12 foot, 12 pound. Okay. Yeah.
0: Is it just like what? What's the? Is it just straight twelve all the way? I mean, no, that? no, yeah. no. A tapered leader. Yeah, I like tapered, tapered leaders. Like, yeah. what's the the recipe for that for you usually?
1: You no, know, um, just a twelve foot twelve pound, and then if I change a fly a little bit, I'll add some twelve pound tippet to that.
0: Mm-hmm. Pretty
1: simple. Yeah. Um,
0: ha- have you done a lot of kind of throwing gurglers at them at their tails? Like, a are little there certain bit. things that you it takes the right angler,
1: and you know. it takes the angler that is okay given up a lot of shots so you know you have to have the fish doing the right thing and Mm -hmm. you have to have the fish you know you're going to encounter some that where if you were throwing like a subsurface fly you could have made that shot maybe caught that fish that you won't get to do if you throw a gurgler Mm -hmm. you know and that fish has to be completely unaware that you're there um yeah the girl gurgler's fun to do if uh if the right guy is into it so yeah yeah i think
0: that's one of the more Cool ways to to catch them, like a little shrimp or something that Absolutely. flushed up behind them, and big, it's fun watching big turn.
1: them turn coming up and try to eat that thing. But they're, you know, they have the inferior mouth on the bottom, and they yeah. mess it a lot of times, but it's worth the, Jesus, worth the squeeze, I think.
0: Yeah, and I've seen a lot of cool video footage from you of kind of teasing big bowls out of schools and yeah. things like that. What, what for you? You know, obviously, you just spent a lot of time, you know fishing and learning certain areas, but what, what for you does redfish scouting look like? If you were going to a new area tomorrow that you have never been, how would Um, you approach it from ground zero? Lots of polling, I guess. Um, well, I guess it just depends on the area. Um, like on a map, like, let's just say me and you are, we're, we're going into a whole new fishery. We know there's redfish there. You get out a map. Are are you going to start with shallow, just going to go as shallow as I can get. Okay. That's it. Yeah. You know, most of the redfish here in Florida,
1: I mean, he is a redfish is not afraid to be super shallow, Mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, here in our area on real low water, all those little things that the redfish wants to eat that might be able to stay up out of harm's way in the grass has to, they get flushed out and, you know, that redfish is cruising around with his back out or super shallow to Mm -hmm. where he can get to those things. Um, so I'm going to go super shallow. That'd Mm -hmm. be my answer wherever I am, I'm going to start way shallow and see if those fish are as shallow as I can get my boat and Mm -hmm. work work out in depth from there. So
0: how, um, so work out from depth. So you're going to start shallow as possible work deep for you. Just generally speaking, how long are you given a certain area before you're moving on to the next one? Is it just, Different every time, or do you do you say yeah, thirty minutes, a, an hour, fifteen? Never standard. Just I don't know, based yeah. on as you long feel. as you can stand. Yeah. Are yeah. you seeing other stingrays and things like that, or yeah, seeing life,
1: seeing yeah, they should be here. You blowing fish out. If you're not moving redfish, then you're not in the right place. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, for you, I know that you you know you started with photography. Is that correct? As far as and then got into filmmaking. What's the story with the the video work and the photography work for you? Hmm. You know,
1: from the beginning, I guess when I started fishing and guiding and could afford some of that stuff, I mean, I had a little, little handy cam that, you know, the, like the side popped off, uh, <laughs> like these that we're using. Right yeah. Now. But yeah. yeah, very similar. It was that I actually yeah. would, I, I found a way to hang around my neck cause I would waded to redfish. I mean, mm-hmm. a long time ago, I think I it was my parents or something. And I was just enamored with trying to get show what what i was seeing it was so freaking cool to me that Mm -hmm. tailing redfish or whatever and of course a tarpon jumping out of the water and um that was kind of the beginning of that thinking and then you know taking photos of it as well that all kind of happened at the same
0: time um did somebody get you into that i mean or did you just kind of yourself just into it and what like what general time period would this be like oh man I don't know. Nineties. My, my
1: first, yes, for sure, nineties. Maybe before that. My first camera was a. My dad had a Pentax film camera, and that was the first camera I used to take pictures of tarpon jumping out of the water. Mm-hmm. I still have those somewhere, but uh, you know, I kind of learned how to use that, and then digital was a lot easier when, mm-hmm. when I could afford a digital camera. I had a little Leica digital. Actually, it was the first one that they ever. It was, Ever made that I I used for a few years. Um, Yeah, and and just started going from there and uh, was really into documenting that stuff. And, you know, as I started guiding and we had a guide service, um, it was pretty inherent that if you, you know, I I think people without saying, hey, I'm going to, I can put you on these fish or I know what I'm doing, if you show these fish doing amazing things, it's inherently obvious that hey, I was able to get there and, and sneak up on these fish and show them doing this cool tailing or mm-hmm. these tarpon eating a fly or something. Well, you know, it's without saying, it goes without saying that you could put your client in these situations. Sure. So that worked kind of, that, that formula worked for, you know, showing some of that cool fish stuff and making films mm-hmm. and, and whatnot. And yeah, we, we got some. Got plenty of days booked doing that and uh, started building my guide service from that and building client lists.
0: What was your first film or photo that you felt like, you know, that was, you know, you kind of start, I guess most people start and you're taking videos and photos and you're showing them to friends and people are kind of cool, cool. Was there a first one where you felt like, okay, this is, this is really getting traction or this is a monumental moment for me in photography or film? no
1: I can't no I don't know
0: still searching for it (laughs) I'd have to think that one through a little bit yeah is there a certain film over the years that you're most proud of you know the most proud
1: of would be the most current one this Steve Huff film Mm -hmm. you know everything I've done film wise before that has led up to this one I think Mm -hmm. um really proud of that one Uh, Pat Ray and I did recently um called Huff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So everything leading up to that, like leading into that moment. And I guess in a way that's kind of what you're saying with permit where, you know, you're doing all this types of fishing and it's all kind of leading up to it and you're learning things and you're putting all that together. What would you say when you went in to get that opportunity to make that film and, and work with Steve, what were the things that you felt like you learned or brought into it from over the years? You know, uh, A lot of the film stuff I've done,
1: I've been shooting and, you know, I shot a little bit. Pat was Mm -hmm. mainly shooting, but the ideas and the, I, I, you know, as you do more and more of this film stuff, you have a vision of what you see the end product Mm -hmm. as you shoot. So, you know, when I first started doing that stuff, I, you know, just started shooting stuff that looked cool. And then you put it together later to try to piece together something. And then you kind of learn how to storytell a little bit, but, as you advance and all that, you have a vision of what you want it to be before you ever start, you Mm -hmm. know? And I kind of had that with this. It it, luckily it turned out really, it it was a little different than the end vision I had, but it turned out really well. Yeah. You know, I wish I had another 30 days to film with him and dig super deep and do a lot more of that. But life doesn't really let you do that a lot of times. And he certainly, you Know it was hard enough to get him, yeah, to do sure, it. I, yeah. If I didn't have the relationship with him that I had, I there's no way he would have let I, you know. I'm,
0: I'm glad that he let me do it, so yeah. Uh, the and, opening and scene with him. the with the dragonflies, epic <laughs> man, and the quality of film, so good, but it's got a cool pace to it, you yeah. know, too. That's not just like a, a Stoke reel, you know, that um, people that that I am around that know him, you know, that. You know, kind of the way they tell stories and what they tell about him. It's not all a Stoke reel wouldn't really reflect his it, vibe. It would never work. Yeah, to, uh, you know,
1: yeah. I think that piece did a good job of you know it, the, the goal really was you know making a little piece about that man and you know there's tons of people that, that know of him, know his name but had never met him. They would love to meet him or love to fish with him that just aren't going to have that opportunity. And the goal with that film was to show who he was and let everybody have a little bit of of a piece of understanding and knowing him. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, Which I think it did well. You know, you got a little insight behind the the curtain, so to speak, about Steve Huff, so.
0: Yeah, and I think, too, one of the, you mentioned just getting him to do the film is one of the hardest things like Hmm. that's one of the things that i've learned with the podcast i mean most people are pretty pretty susceptible to or open to doing an interview but you have to be willing to you know it's all the behind the scenes stuff that i think. you know that that's kind of hard stuff to learn along the way and um you know that's that's to me those types of details are the ones that people you know, you have to actually ask and learn and get mentored by and stuff Check. for you and your filmmaking and videography. Have you had certain people that have really helped you a ton with that or, you know, a lot of it has
1: just been self learned. Um, but you know, I used to work, uh, did a lot of projects with a, a friend named, uh, Kevin brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, what is uh, colorblind media? Mm-hmm. I've done a few things with Pat Ray and some other folks along the way. Um, and of course, you learn every time you do something. Yeah. Um, filmmaking is, you know, to do it well, there are a whole lot of talents you need to have. You know, mm-hmm. not only storytelling or have a vision, but how to be, you know, understanding the cameras and mm-hmm. all the editing. Like, my God, audio, you know, there's so many different things yeah. you have to understand and know how to do if you want to do it well as a one man or two man band. It's very
0: difficult very expensive too. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of details. Yeah. I remember I was talking to you. Um, I don't know if this was on the podcast or off the podcast, but I remember I was getting into photography and you said, you might just want to just get all your money together and just on you know, I would say um, that's more true with videography than, uh, photography. Photography. Yeah. Yeah. I got a little Sony a seven two that it's starting to have, uh, it's starting to have, you know, that was the best camera I could afford at the time. And then I figured if I wanted to update it, I'll, I'll wait till this one breaks. And, uh, that's inevitable. And now it's starting to break. And I, I called a friend and he would goes, have you had it around water? And I said, exclusively, I yeah, yeah, exclusively. It's like, I've got all sorts of issues now, but, um, it has been, you know, to me, the photography piece, which I don't do a ton, but when I do, it forces me to slow down and, you know, appreciate certain things a little bit more. Sure. And then sometimes it super gets in the way. And I find for whatever reason, trying to do things on my phone, like gets in the way even more. Yeah. For me, if I have a, I'd rather have a camera in my hand than a phone in my hand. It just something about it. Just, I think we all are growing to hate our phones, aren't we? Yeah. (laughs) Um,
1: you know, like for this recent trip to, to Mexico, the, the Los Locos thing, I caught a few of those fish, but I had so much fun shooting it. Right. So for me, um, Capturing those images is even harder a lot of times than catching the fish, mm-hmm. and like I, I'm really into the, taking the photos a lot mm-hmm. of times, even more so than than catching something. You know, if I go somewhere new, I want to catch that fish or mm-hmm. you know I'm going to catch a marlin. Cool. Yeah. Okay, I did it. So let's see if we can take a really cool shot of the fish jumping or you know many other aspects or shots. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, that's why I like about photography. It's yeah. it's challenging. It's like a step beyond. Right step beyond catching that fish kind of like guiding is a step beyond holding the rod and catching the fish yourself you're giving the rod to somebody else and Mm -hmm. and explaining to them in that heat of that moment how to catch the fish so that's what i enjoy about the the photography game
0: yeah i like the things when i'm looking at somebody who's you know i feel like i've seen thousands of photos of redfish or thousands of photos of jumping tarpon or Mm -hmm. whatever you name the species and then you see somebody it's the same fish it's basically speaking the same type of location and they catch a new angle a new yeah. perspective that's that's the goal of all photographers that yeah. are trying to do that I think and that's that's that moment for me like
1: in the summer and I'm going through the whatever tarpon shots of the jump in one and I see that one that's different a little different somehow mm-hmm. or there's something about it that's like oh like
0: you know what I mean that's yeah. that's what's fun about photography yeah me. and and then on the storytelling side um you know, and I want to hear more about that process. Cause my background is I have a degree in creative writing from mm. Florida state and I learned a lot about storytelling and how all that stuff comes together just from the academic standpoint, which is way different than in the field. But, um, you know, I like with like films like Huff, where it's, you have a moment where there's him holding a dragonfly in his hand and you're, it's telling the story instead of just him talking to a camera and then him catching fish. And it's kind of like the early evolution of a lot of the shows, you know, some of the early shows were really good at storytelling and a lot of fishing shows are just like, we get it. You're using paddle tails to catch redfish. Thank you for, (laughs) you know, and you're telling me about the cinnamon speckle in the paddle, you know, and it's just like, so that's, I think the cool part of it. Yeah. You know,
1: I think that's why Walker's K was so amazing to all of us. It wasn't the talking head saying, this is how we're doing this. You know, it's, uh, it was poetry, uh, in motion on us, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it was just done in a different way that everybody, it was more romantic. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's why people gravitated toward while we're still talking about it today. Yeah. Um, you know, when you make a film and you, you know, there's, there's some stuff, there's cool stuff about making a film with the talking head going, holy shit. We were, these fish were smashing this and it was amazing, yeah. but it can be done in a better way. It's just a little harder. Um, and I think when you see that done in a different way, you you know, we we connect to it. So,
0: so what is your, when you, let's just say that today you're getting ready for this trip and you have an idea pop in your head about a film you want to make. Mm. And what is the process from there for you? Do you spend time like writing ideas down? Do you, what does it look like for you? ideation?
1: No, I mean, you know, I, I think less and less I have ideas that I want to pursue. I have a lot of ideas, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but ideas that I want to pursue that I'm really interested in because, you know, I, I think maybe just as I get older or, or whatnot, your time becomes more and more valuable because you have less mm-hmm. of it. And there's lots of ideas like if, you know, people, hey, let's make a film. You know, I, I don't know. I, I don't just want to make a film. I want to there has to be an idea that comes up or something that happens that I'm like really drawn towards mm-hmm. or yeah, no, I don't know. It, it's yeah. gotta have a lot of impact or it's gotta be like, like this thing with Steve, like I, you know, asking him to do that film. I was probably the most nervous I've been in years and years. I talked to everybody I knew about, Hey, how do you think I should approach him? And mm-hmm. people that I didn't even know that knew him and God, thank God. He said, yes. Yeah. So, um, but no, I, I think making a film for me moving forward, it's got to have to be involved in it, to to use my time to do it. It's got to have a, a lot of meaning personally.
0: Yeah. So, and saying no to ideas to yourself, that's, I struggle a ton with that. Is yeah. that just something you learned over the years, like overextending yeah. yourself? And you're absolutely, just like, yeah, yeah. You know, then you, you, then you
1: don't have that balance that you talked about earlier with family. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if I was a single man, I'd have five thousand projects going at once. Now I can handle maybe, you know,
0: thirty. So mm-hmm. Yeah. And <laughs> the in the money. I, I I've man, I've just the the past five years I've just struggled a ton with that. Is yeah. you know, try it's I've gotten a lot better at saying no to other people and I've needed to learn how to say no to myself because you have an idea and you kind of want to see where it goes but then the other idea that you started a month ago gets diluted that's right you know and i guess that's the quantity over quality you gotta pick and choose yeah yeah i've certainly lost way more money in making
1: films than i've ever made so yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) just because i wanted to do it i'm uh, not with hobbies
0: too i'm like you know just sending money and saying, Oh, I could have put that money into something that I, is actually more meaningful. And I, I'm trying to get to where I'm given stuff. Like if I still want to do it in a month, still want to do it in two months or whatever, then not feeling as rushed. Like yeah. I have to rush it to the factory, you know, and do it instantly. Yeah. Um, so let's just say that idea pops in your head and you, you, you're like, I want to make it's the, it's the next huff. Or, or okay. maybe maybe it'd be helpful just to talk about how that ide- ideation happened. Let's just do that. I've of... I've wanted to make that film since I started making films, or since I yeah. knew who that guy was. Did you write down like uh, the storyboard? Like what did I wrote that? Down That's what I'm lot. curious about. Yeah, you know
1: the the end thing that I envisioned. You know, I'm kind of glad it didn't didn't come about. You know, I'd had this idea. I'd actually written this whole thing down that was going to be maybe a huff speaking to the everglades like at this place that he's you know grown next to like a personify the everglades as a maybe a female or something that he was speaking to and as Mm -hmm. they've grown old together or something but anyway uh it didn't come out to that it's because he was like no i'm not doing that yeah so (laughs) 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 which i was cool about but uh anyway yeah i i I thought and have thought for a long time about that one just because I really have so much respect for that guy. Mm-hmm. And so everybody does. It has to be of done course. right. Yeah. And yeah, you know, Pat and I were very nervous about, you know, going into it, how, mm-hmm. what we're going to get. Are we going to be able to, you know, the right VO has to happen, voiceover has to happen, and he has to say the right things. And that was the hardest part. Yeah. And it usually is. The filming part, you know, there's going to be some cool stuff going on in the Everglades, you yeah. know, and, and around him. But the VO and him saying the things that have impact and are, are really cool that tell his story through his own words is the hardest part about making a film. So. Yeah. Uh,
0: I think it, it came out great. and Yeah, know, we're proud of it. So. That's an interesting dance between ideation and what you want it to be and allowing it to naturally happen. Yeah. You know, and It rare rarely comes out how you how you thought it was going to be. So yeah, that's a, part of that process. And allowing that person's voice to come through, which is what I've tried to do with interviews, which can be tough. Very hard. How different like, people's voices is. I feel your pain.
1: It is. Yeah. Interview. The interview process is very difficult and it's
0: yeah. uh, it's a skill, certainly a skill. I mean, people go to school to study for it. So, yeah. yeah. Well, you try to get out of the way and let the person like, be showcased and shown for what they are which with a travis sands you don't get out of the way of travis sands you interview travis sands you're gonna get travis sands he'll run you over if you don't get out of the way but then some people it's (laughs) like you know you're trying to you're trying to pull that out and show their personality yeah Yeah. i think you you did that really well and it felt like a it felt like a a meaningful film you know it was a little vignette
1: into him you mm -hmm. know for all those that can't ever be on the bow of his
0: boat that would like to at least you you get to meet him a little bit Mm -hmm. so So with you like you've done a lot of photography done a lot of filmography filmmaking um travel trips you built a business with kyle who i did a interview with kyle pitts you know you guys are got a really cool guide operation that that's a whole nother podcast to go into the business side of things but maybe maybe next time we'll talk business there you go um, but for you, what are, as you look at the next 10 years, 20 years, What what's next that's a priority for you? Hmm. You know,
1: just spending more time with family and tarpon fishing. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I cherish every single day of that season. I, I look forward to every single day of that and the clients I get to do that with and just enjoying that. Yeah. Hmm. I don't, I don't have huge aspirations or plans. I want to, you know, I'll I live here now in Santa Rosa beach right now. Mm-hmm. And I'll, as my daughter graduates high school, I'll, I'm going to live and build a place and I'll get a point. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'll hopefully die there. That's where I want to be for the rest of my days. Um, and yeah, that's, that's it really.
0: Yeah. Well, I appreciate the time there's, you know, there'll be plenty of opportunities down the road to dive into some other categories, but I appreciate you just sharing a little bit about the filmmaking and sure. travel and redfish and grateful for this opportunity. And I'm sure I'll get a chance to see you around soon.
1: Absolutely. Well, thanks for being interested in listen to a, what an old guy has to say, yeah. an aspiring old guy,
0: so. <laughs> aspiring <laughs> old guy. That might be your next big idea. T-shirt. Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much, man. It's been great to hang. Thanks man. Thanks for listening to Captain's Collective. We hope that you enjoyed our conversation together. Help us out by leaving a review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts, and please continue to share with friends and family. Thanks for listening. This is the Captain's Collective.